0: On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we'll talk to legendary comic book writer and editor Louise Simonson. She created Apocalypse, she helped kill Superman, and she shaped decades of comics. Plus, I'll tell you the top six takeaways from Star Wars Celebration Europe. Now, straight from the lunchroom at Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters, this is 1.21 Gigawatts! there, and welcome to 1.21 gigawatts, episode number 7 for July 2016. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. I'm referring to movies, TV, comics, games, theme parks, and more. If all that sounds good to you, you are in the right place. And I intend to do that not only by bringing you interviews with the creators of said nerdly awesomeness, but also with a series of rotating segments and features that take a deep dive into a specific geeky topic. Following three days of four sensitive speakers, a massive amount of cosplay involving lightsabers and or metal bikinis, and panels about the behind-the-scenes minutia from the galaxy far, far away, Star Wars Celebration Europe concluded on Sunday, July 17th. There was a lot to unpack following the fan event, but here are the six biggest takeaways for all of you budding Padawans. Keep in mind, there aren't any real spoilers here, nothing that Lucasfilm hasn't already shared publicly, but if you're saving yourself for on-screen reveals only, go play a Hand of Sabacc and meet me at the end of the segment, okay? Number 1. A MAJOR character reveal for Star Wars Rebels nearly stole the whole weekend. Early in the season three trailer for the animated series, we saw new looks for some of our main characters, what appears to be the moment that Wedge Antilles joins the rebellion, and the return of Darth Maul, proving that you can't keep a good bisected Sith down. Normally, this would have been enough to keep the fanboys and girls happy, but what really made them bananas was the reveal of a new Imperial foe. He's a tactical genius, he's blue in the face, and everywhere else, he's a lover of art, He's Grand Admiral Thrawn. Now Thrawn was one of, if not the most popular characters to emerge from the novels of the Expanded Universe, beginning with Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire, published way back in 1991. Thrawn popped up in video games and comics, he had an action figure, all of which made it a Death Star-sized bummer when he, along with the rest of the Expanded Universe, was erased from official Star Wars canon and relegated to Legends status. In other words, his stories, while still great, no longer counted in continuity. But soon he'll be back as one of the many growing reasons that are turning Rebels into essential Star Wars viewing. Number 2! It doesn't take a solid command of the English language to drop a major spoiler! During the panel for Rogue One, a few cast members joked about how Lucasfilm snipers were ready to take them out should they mention too much about the upcoming film Foreshadowing. When questioning made its way to performer Wen Zhang, he began by apologizing for his limited English and then went on to summarize his character Baze Malbus by saying, I have a gun. I have a big gun. It was a completely endearing moment and very well received. And then he kept talking about his character's growth and motivations, and how they're impacted by something very specific that happens to. Wait, what? Whoa, 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 whoa! Panel moderator Gwendolyn Christie did a masterful job of changing the subject while the assembled room tried to figure out if they had, in fact, heard what they thought they heard in Wen Zhang's broken English while unclenching their collective rear ends. Number three! New footage, which wasn't enough new footage. Speaking of Rogue One, we also got a new peek at the film by way of a sizzle reel, which was a mixture of new footage from the film and behind-the-scenes content featuring director Gareth Edwards, the cast, and crew. This footage looks great and seems to confirm that we're in really good hands with Edwards in the director's seat. It's a similar presentation to the Force Awakens sizzle reel that premiered at San Diego Comic-Con roughly a year ago. You can watch it online at StarWars.com. You know what you can't? catch online, a new trailer that was promised in the days prior to Star Wars Celebration Europe. Now, I'm not going to look a gift tauntaun in the mouth. The sizzle reel is gorgeous and I've watched it about 10 times already with another 300 to go. But the Rogue One panel did conclude in live in person with a bit of footage from the film which has not been released to anyone who was not in attendance at that panel. This includes viewers of the ABC TV special, a special look at Star Wars The Force Awakens which aired that same night. The expectation was that everyone not attending Celebration could catch the trailer on TV. No such luck, I sense a Sith plot. And so the rest of us have to live knowing that somewhere out there is new footage featuring the heavy breathing goodness of Darth Vader. Number four, new planet names! That lovely tropical palm tree festooned planet seen in the Rogue One trailer? It's called Scarif. Who cares, you say? Well, one year ago at this time, we learned about another Star Wars desert planet called Jakku. And now you throw that name around like it's your first cousin. Plus, pretty soon you'll see all kinds of merchandise promoting getaways to this tropical paradise planet, which is only kinda occupied by the Empire. We also got another Rogue One planet name with Jeddah, which is being described as a spiritual location in the Star Wars universe. That's where we meet the aforementioned Baze Malbus, who affects the plot dramatically by- NO NO STOP IT WITH THE SPOILERS WEN JANG, GEEZ. Number five, no school like the old school. Star Wars elder statesmen Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher cemented their standings as the most charming, slightly off-keepers of the flame, commanding every stage they were on and bringing along their adorable dogs to help do it. Hell, Carrie Fisher dropped an episode 8 spoiler of her own. But she's Carrie Fisher! Are we really surprised? So everyone just smiles and says, oh Carrie. Number six, Meet Han Solo. Officially, officially announced and introduced to the celebration faithful live and in person was actor Alden Ehrenreich, who will be starring as the younger Han Solo in the standalone film scheduled to begin shooting early next year in the UK. Directors Phil Lord and Chris Miller said that he was the first person to audition for the role and apparently no one could reach the high bar he set. While I can't blame anyone for feeling a little trepidation about a young Han Solo movie, I've got some of those feelings myself, if you've seen Aaron Reichen films like the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar, where he stole every scene he was in, you'll start to feel much better about the whole thing. Finally, special commendations to the various hosts of the Star Wars Celebration Europe coverage. On the main stage, we had Warwick Davis and Gwendolyn Christie, Pablo Hidalgo and David Collins presided over a pile of great discussions, and for those of us watching the live stream, were Andy Gutierrez and Peter Townley from the Star Wars show providing hours of live interviews and serving as the connective tissue for those watching online. You're all invited to be the co host of 1.21 Gigawatts. Whenever you'd like, just give me a call. For those of you that missed the Star Wars Celebration fun live or via the interwebs, keep in mind that the countdown is already on for the next celebration in mid-July 2017 in Orlando, Florida. See you there, and may the Force be with you. When you're a kid getting into comics, you read what you like and don't think too hard about who creates it. Maybe you're into a specific character, so if you're a young reader in the 1980s and you like Spider-Man, you pick up Marvel Team-Up and Web of Spider-Man. You like the Mutant book, so you're also reading X Factor and New Mutants. Since you're a kid in the 80s, in this long-winded example, you're legally obligated to like Star Wars and Indiana Jones, so you read those too. And hey, here's a comic called Power Pack about superhero kids! Awesome! And then, as you get older, you realize that the same person had a hand in all of those projects that you loved. That person is Louise Simonson, writer, editor, and sometimes colorist and we spoke at the 2016 Garden State Comic Fest. And a quick apology for the sound quality here. New recording equipment plus a loud convention floor equals some blown out audio from time to time. But the magic is still there.
1: Well, hi, thank you very much. And yeah, I did a lot of stuff back in the olden days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love the olden days. That And that intro is not a joke. When I started reviewing the list of projects that that you've been involved with, I realized that you significantly shaped my comic reading childhood. I read all of those things. And I'm, I'm very happy to report that my son, he's sitting to my right right now, uh, <laughs> holding an issue of the first Power Pack, he has just read through the full run, your full run of Power Pack, for the second time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, your work is alive and well in our own.
1: Oh, I'm so glad.
0: Was, so tell me, was, was Power Pack your first major writing assignment after you wrapped up your time as an editor, is that right?
1: Well, it was, okay, this, is, yeah, it was the first major comic that I had ever done, the first major story. Yeah. Um, one of the things that Back in the olden days, <laughs> we as editors we had a lot of comics to, that we had to edit. And then Jim Shooter thought that we were overworked and hired a batch of new editors. He'd also been after all of his editors to freelance as well just because I aside from, you know, being extra income, he also thought it wouldn't hurt us to be on the other side of the Desk as a freelancer, and understand, give more empathy for freelancers. Um, so he hired a batch of new editors. Oh, I hadn't at that point. I had decided, I had said, No, I'm not freelancing because it would be taking away work from people who had who supported their families mm. by doing comic books. I didn't want to steal work from anyone. And then he hired a batch of new editors, and I was I could edit all the comics I had already and I said well gosh I'm a little bit bored I think I'll write something so I said well if I make up something then I'm not taking work away from anybody ah, right so I said well, I went to Jim and I said well I have this weird little idea about four little kids who were superheroes and Jim looked at me like I'd lost my mind <laughs> and said all right. Well, you know, write it up. Maybe we'll get a mini series out of it. And this kind of resigned tone of voice, bless his heart. And um, I, so I did. I went home and I wrote the first plot, and then uh, the next uh, uh, plot, like like plot synopses, I guess, for the next four issues. And um, then June Brigman came into my office, mm-hmm. and she was looking for work. And all my books were filled up with people. I but I really liked it. I liked the kids she drew. So I said. Well, you know, I have this project that I'm going to propose, and blah 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 blah. So here it is. And if you do do drawings of the kids, yeah. and if I like them, well then we'll, I'll propose this as a team, and maybe we'll get a mini series out of it. And June said, "Oh sure, she had she had, she had done draw, done drawings of kids, um, and, and other people too. I think at uh, uh, Six Flags in oh, Atlanta nice. or Wow." Right. So I think she may have exaggerated the number of children she did at the time. So I, I, I got June to do the you know illustrations of the kids. And honestly, they were so wonderful. The kids became more themselves from the illustrations. You know, Jack, she had his little arms folded and his little lips poked yeah. out. And, you know, Katie was, you know, her bouncy self. It was just adorable. So I proposed it to Jim. I took it into Jim. And I said, okay, here's what I've got. And I handed it to him. And, you know, he read it. And he came back and he said... I've seen proposals for Hollywood movies that aren't this good. You, you, you have a series, and this first plot—it's two issues. I was forty-eight pages, and um, it's due in, you know, two months or something, whatever it was. And June had never drawn a comic before, and I had never written a comic before. It was a first work. It's
0: gorgeous. I know, isn't
1: it? And um, wow. And uh, you know, she may have at some point. At some point, she. There was a. Alpha Flight or something in there. I, I think, but I think Power Pack was our first,
0: work. Our first regular. Uh, first regular yeah. assignment,
1: and um, uh, it it took people seemed to like it. Yeah, yeah it was it was kind of weird. Sheer loved it though, and That's I great. and Chris Claremont loved it. And you know we then we you know I started doing other things like New yeah. Mutants, and but Power Pack kept appearing in all these other books, so they got
0: yes, a little play. Yes, a lot. of <laughs> were, I, in,
1: A lot right. of people liked it. I was so sure. thrilled.
0: Oh, absolutely! So, know, so I thought I was
1: doing it for little kids, and it turned out that I was. There were a lot of grown-ups who were reading oh, really? it, but little kids were. The, they were my. They were my goal.
0: Oh, I, I love that. Well, you know, I I think that, and and you're touching on this, of course, in discussing especially what, what June Brigman did with the art. But I think that one of the strengths of Power Pack is that the kids all have really distinct personalities, um, that are also very true to being in elementary school and middle school, and. And this is going to come out wrong, but, but like without ever seeming annoying or something like I've read, <laughs> I've read, you know, I've read novels or whatever where, you know, these kids are however young and you read it and you're like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, because they're not engrossing, but, but Katie, uh, can still, and she's in what? Kindergarten? Kindergarten. Yeah, she's five break. years old in the so, beginning. Yeah. So she's, she's very young and she reads appropriately young, but she's still very relatable.
1: She's smart. She's smart. Yes. No. and they oh, All of oh, those kids are smart. Can, smart and courageous. Those are my yeah, two favorites. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Smart and courageous. So, so yeah, it's never dumbed down for kids, um, or as kids, or as readers, or, you know, or whatever the I, case might be.
1: I was writing the dialogue as kids sound to themselves. Yes. You know, I wasn't writing, I wasn't trying to duplicate, the you other know, the way a little kid might talk, and, and I, I honestly have a lot of... Very bright. Well, my child is very bright. My grandchildren are bright, and all the nieces, very bright nieces and nephews, with large vocabularies, and you know they're really smart people. Yeah. So that was who I was writing. Sure. for. I was writing for myself when I was 11
0: years old. I, I love was that. my audience. I I might have been around 11 when it was oh, really oh cool. I, then if, you were the right age. I, I think you were the guy works. I was aiming at. I, yeah, yeah, it totally worked. And if memory, I cannot believe if I could be totally off on this, but I want to say that it came out like, debut summer 84-ish or spring 84-ish?
1: Something like that. Maybe, I don't... You know, it must have been summer because our our friend John Bogdanov, who eventually took over the book... Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were he and his wife were up in Maine and they stopped at a convenience store or something and Power Pack was on the rack and he picked it up and he recognized our neighborhood where we lived and where they lived they lived in the boat basin they had a they had a a houseboat down on the uh, Hudson River he recognized the neighborhood the schools the I don't know whatever
0: I love that
1: that was you know that would have been around issue five or six because yeah. that was where we started right. the, they moved to when New come York when they back yeah um and uh, so yeah that that was that was during the summer and fall i think i
0: th- i think so the reason this is insane that it sticks out to me is because my family was driving across the country from ohio to los angeles for the olympics oh my. like over the course of the summer and as you know so in the back of the station wagon you know doing my thing discovering this comic and since it was a multi-month trip uh-huh. realizing in all like wherever we landed like has it been four weeks can we find a drugstore that i can see like uh, they're out in the space with the snarks what's gonna happen i love hearing stories like yeah. this oh i i'm glad i'm glad
1: i made your childhood trip you did better yeah
0: you did you did absolutely that was that was like the little oasis as, as we went through as we drove across the country um so so you mentioned you've got one child right i do how did you find the dynamic then between four kids that sometimes cooperate wonderfully sometimes they squabble ridiculously because i you have three sisters it say no more
1: (laughs) I have no brothers but I have three sisters and um, you know it just it's also honestly I think it's one of my favorite books there were four children Mm -hmm. um, in Little Women of course four children Um, in uh, the Half Magic books I don't know if you Mm -hmm. Edward Eager oh you you would have liked those back in the day you might still I might still Um, there the first one is four children who find a magic amulet that gives you half of what you wish for so you have to do math and phrase the wishes very carefully or you get what you didn't want. Mm. So, um, yeah, there were four children in that. I mean, i just, four seemed like the right number to me sure. because that's what I came from.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I know that I, I skipped past your time as an editor a little bit, which huh. was at first at Warren and then at Marvel. Yeah. Um, and from what I've read, um, as a woman, particularly, you were somewhat of a pioneer stepping into this role. Um, what what sort of reception was that? in? so this is in mid 70s. Other right? people
1: have all of these you know horrible stories, and I have no horrible stories. Oh, I feel kind of I feel kind of guilty. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish I could tell I, you I a story of a horror, man, horror and terror. Okay. But <laughs> I you know I I mean I I got hired at Warren. I, I was told later, and I don't know if it was true, that that one of the reasons I was hired in the production department was because I looked like the editor's ex-wife. Which I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know what his ex-wife looked like, and I don't, you know. But it was a fun. It was a funny story. And my, what I say to kids who you, you use everything you got, you know. If that was the reason, yay! You yeah. know, it was a step in the door. You know, if yeah. you. But he um, would never hit on me or anything you know it was just weird well good ex-wife i guess i must have had a good relationship or something um (laughs) uh i you know i think at marvel there were maybe some people who didn't think i should have gotten as a woman anywhere near the this is i'm telling you the worst stories i can think of i'm dredging them up now um i didn't, didn't get anywhere near the real marvel characters which were you know Fantastic Four mm. and the Avengers characters were are. Well, so, so I got the X-Men.
0: Oh, what a shame. Oh, gosh. I've been, I'm not familiar Poor with that. Poor me. Yeah. I know.
1: So, yeah, I was. I, I have no bad stories, well, unfortunately.
0: And and then we're at the helm for, like, only the stories that, you know, 20, 30 years later are revered as, like, I, you know, the pinnacle of Honestly, Honestly,
1: working with Chris Claremont as the writer was such a pleasure. That's great. He's just... You know, smart and funny, and he had been doing these characters for years before I even got a hold of him. So, you know, all I had to do was kind of nod my head and (laughs) smile with Chris had so many ideas. The only challenge with him was to, when he would lay out his ideas, it was to say that one yes, that one no. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. a smorgasbord of possibilities yeah. there. Yeah. So it was. He was just great. I loved working with that's
0: him. That's fantastic. What a great problem to have. I know. Like, Life stop is hard. being I- so imaginative. I know. So you you've created stories for some of the biggest characters in comics, including an eight-year run on Superman, Man of Steel. Yes. What what kind of challenges are present when working on existing characters in mythology? I mean, when you get Superman, that's decades of backstory. Um, do you feel the need to like, do you have to go in and, and put your stamp on it, or is that too much? Is it too little? What's the what's the balance there?
1: Well, okay, the, the Superman team was a really, it was an unusual team in that um, it, when in doing Man of Steel, it was one, it, we were treating the Superman books as a weekly comic, and I would do a chapter every Month essentially, mm-hmm. um, we, we would have us Superman guys would have a giant meeting once a year, and we would plot out very roughly the movement of the character through all of these books, and then we would go home and write our chapters as it was our turn. It would, the, the, one of the challenges with that, of course, was to you had to do your thing in a week. It'll make sure you got your, your plot into Mike Carlin, who is a fantastic editor, best ever. Um, and you um, read what, so they would, the, the guy before me would, I, I'd read his stuff. I'd say, oh yeah, blah, 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 this is what I have to pick up on. You'd have to fit what needed to go in it to set up the continuity for the next guy into your story. And then you would have to do a story, if you could possibly manage it, that had a beginning and a middle and end. Like the story, uh, the book could be read just by somebody picking it up off the stands and know what was going on, and not have to know this huge sweep of a story that we were actually doing. Um, so, I mean, that was the challenge. I didn't really have you know, any problem working with anybody there. You know, that I... There were, well, let anybody else... I mean, it was always personalities. And, of course, you had personality clashes, but it had nothing to do with my being sure. a woman writer. It was just that...
0: People are know, people. You people have
1: people are people. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah absolutely. Is it, is it difficult to leave uh, a book like that, or, or any book where you've had a really long run? Is it, is it weird to feel like, this has been mine, or you know, partly not, yours?
1: Not really. I, I kind of... Usually, when I end up leaving a book, I'm kind of ready for it. You know, I, honestly, I, when we were on the Superman books, I kind of felt like I probably should have left about, you know, six months or a year <laughs> earlier. So it was, in a way, it's, you, you're kind of going as part of a team, and that, that, that team was, the, the team element, the aspect of working with all these really great, good people was kind of harder to give up than, yeah. than actually doing, you know, quitting and doing something
0: else. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand that. Um, so you've created characters partly uh, at, at your time at DC and obviously at Marvel a little bit who have gone on to big screen fame, oh, um, yes. notably DC's Steel and Apocalypse, who just came to life via. Yes, Oscar he I. did. Yeah, um, do you do you eagerly look for them? Do you watch them? Do I, you're making a face? I I watch them. Okay,
1: I I I thought Steel was a really fun character. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the script for the movie was not great. The villain in that in the Steel movie wasn't great. The costume wasn't great. I personally kinda like Shaq as Steel. <laughs> but I know a lot of people didn't. Um, I so that I it when I saw how the costume was terrible in that movie. Um, and it and then the villain was terrible. It just it just so it made me then apprehensive. Sure. about what they might do with other characters who made right. it to the big screen right. um, yeah I was I was worried about apocalypse I knew Archangel would be good because I'd seen nice shots of Archangel yeah. with the wings ching you know yeah. and the, the darts I mean he was, was very it was actually a very small part of that of the the, the new recent x-men apocalypse movie <sighs> apocalypse I wanted him to be eight feet tall with a booming voice and he was like a little scrawny guy with at least he wasn't blue. I thought sure. this was the first till I saw of him who was blue. And I was oh, Smurf. Oh, God, let him be a Smurf. <laughs> <laughs> but so it was, you know, some of the movie, some of that movie I liked. Um, you know, there were, here's what I think they should have done with Apocalypse. Because, right. of course, you do that with a movie. Bring it. Listen um, up, Hollywood. Okay. Yeah. Grand yeah.
0: singer, this is for you. Yeah.
1: Um, one of Apocalypse's things at least in my creation of him is that he's trying to make the rest of the world mutants and it so that he, if he makes a move and the mutants come and defeat him then it's like yes I've won they're stronger now and they didn't do that in the movie you hmm. know it was like oh dang I want to wipe out humanity and dang they beat me oh I what was me no 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 you want him cheering yes my people are stronger you know, I've, I've made the difference in their yeah. existence. Yeah. Um, I've strengthened humanity, blah, blah, blah. And so that, I, that was an attitude I think that was probably based on a later comic, oh, Age of Apocalypse maybe, that I didn't, I hadn't read. I just, you know, once you create a character, it's really hard to go back and see what other people have done with them. Because sometimes they do things you wouldn't have done. And honestly, you, you make them up, you, you create this toy, and then you, you play with them in the sandbox for a while, and then you put him down and other kids get to play with him.
0: Because, of course, you've worked on a lot of projects based on licensed material, like Marvel's original Star Wars run and Battlestar Galactica. Are there, are there special challenges on working on a book like that where you may or may not have to deal with studio approvals or, like, actors have a... You know, um, you know uh, back something in their contract. You've got to get their likeness right. Back whatever. in the
1: olden days, you didn't run into that as much. Mm. These days, it can be a nightmare. Yeah. Um, you no, know, the Star Wars people were great. The only time they said we couldn't do things was when it was going to appear in the next movie, uh, and yes. it was always a clue. What they were going to do, but so I mean, so that was cool. We, in fact, one of the early Star Wars, David McElainy was the writer at the time, and he had said, "Well, gosh, they blew up this Death Star. We'll just build another Death Star and put a fish wire over the you know fish wire <laughs> right. over, over the vent, over the sure. vent." Yeah. And um, he, so we sent that in, and they said, "Oh no, you can't do that." And we said, "Okay, well, we know what's happening next." Um, and then we said, "Well, well, what if we just put a big cannon in space and it's not round?" And they said, "Okay." So he uh, put up a cannon in space and it was it did the same story only with a different
0: shape. Right. As I was doing research, I thought I came across something that said that you suggested to Chris Claremont when the mutant massacre storyline was taking shape. That hey, you know what, Chris? That this should be a crossover event.
1: I well I didn't put it that way.
0: Okay. Okay, the
1: way I put it was, Chris, what you're killing off the Morlocks because there are too many of them? Oh my god. And you're gonna do it in a single issue? No, 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 no. It's too big to do it in a single issue. I wanna play, I wanna play, I wanna play. And Chris <laughs> said, okay. So then we made up a, something that I guess was a crossover. It I was see. like we made a we made a map. The Mary Mart no, knows what they wouldn't let us use Mary. The m- mutant massacre map with you know. Uh-
0: they didn't want to use the word "Mary" and, and massacre they, in the same sentence? They,
1: they thought it was in bad
0: taste. Nice, that's shocking. Silly them. I can't believe that for a second. <laughs> that's ridiculous.
1: So, yeah, we did that. That's And that was the inception. I mean, it wasn't that I thought, oh, I will create this brilliant concept of crossover. And God, had I known, maybe I wouldn't have done it at all. But um, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was just, I, it just seemed like fun, you know. Yeah. And it was, it was fun. We did it in, oh, gosh, what do we have? X Factor and New Mutants and Power Pack and uh 4 okay and maybe some other books were thrown in there, but we couldn't remember which ones they were.
0: Right, right. I, I was going to say I wasn't sure if that was one of the. It's one of the early crossover Yes, it maybe it's like um, some Horse, people. Two have, or some people have said
1: it was the first one. I have no idea okay. if it was. I was
0: going to say, does this make you like the the Robert Oppenheimer of comics? <laughs> like God. I made this wonderful horrible. Thing. I know. Um, <laughs> i a monster. A monster.
1: Um, yeah, I think I was a contributing factor toward monsterhood.
0: Very good. If, and if I hadn't,
1: if I didn't invent it. And there are people who say I didn't, people who say I didn't, and I'm not enough of a historian to know. Sure. Um, yeah, it was, unfortunately, extremely successful. Also, it came out, one of the fun things was it came, I love I loved the process of selling comics as well as the process of making them. And it, it, it was to come out in the fall when the received knowledge was that you couldn't sell comics in the fall because kids were going back to school, and their money went to buying school books and supplies. And I said... I, just, I said, of course you can, you just need to make up the right story, so we did, I mean that was the right story, and it sold horribly well. And then, so the next year, Jim Shooter said, exactly, he said, oh, you will do a crossover and this is what you will do, and we said, oh no, we're already, we already have one in the works. Didn't, we didn't really. We were just. We lied because we didn't want him to dictate to us sure. what we should do. Right. So at that point, we did Fall of the Mutants, which really wasn't a crossover. It was like disasters happened to each team. Yeah. But it wasn't. But it was linked to them. It was. It was linked. Yeah. It wasn't a proper crossover. And we crossover. could put the little
0: corner thing exactly. on the exactly. cover. And Shatter yeah.
1: was cool with it. So that's good. Um, yeah. And then, it, so you know, in a way, that that was almost the beginning of. The word being handed. I mean, it was our choice to do these. We were working toward Inferno, which was the the whole culmination of you know Maddie and Jean and the whole yeah. thing. And lots of demons too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was a lot of times these days in mo- these mo- this modern time. Back then, the, which are just so much worse than the olden days, of course. These days, a lot of times, those on high will tell you this will be a crossover and it will it will include this and this is and this is what you have to do to the the teams that are the status quo, status sure, quo. Yeah. and it makes it very hard for people to actually do their own stories because they're constantly interrupted by this mm-hmm. other stuff Yeah. Um, and Back then, we were doing it because we wanted to. It was our idea, and we wanted to keep it that way. So we did say, kind of, no to shooter, even though we had to then pretend we had already something in the works. Yeah. Um, but you know, I and it's much better if it's something that maybe, at least I think, something that's a little limited. That you know, so the, the so that the fans don't try, don't have to buy I don't, everything, oh, and the lot, sure. it's too much.
0: Yeah. I mean, who can I, keep track? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and we
1: did. I have to say that we did try to make each story self-contained and each series self-contained, so you could read all of X Factor. And you would know what was happening all along. And you'd, or if you wanted to just get X-Men, that was, you know, but if you wanted the whole experience, but it wasn't necessary. Right,
0: right, right. So we
1: did try that with all of them. And I think, it, I think we mo- kind of, Inferno may have been totally necessary that you read everything, because that was really convoluted. That was heavy
0: duty. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was something. I, I know exactly what you mean, and I feel for creators these days when some of the crossover events uh, not only dictate, here's what your plot line is going to be for the next three months, but mm-hmm. by the way, we're going to reboot you. And we're going to start over with. I, I know. I'm, How does
1: anybody even have a, 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 a series that way?
0: I, it's uh, the the frequency that it happens amazes me. It's um, kind
1: of. It's better to work for a little company where they don't. Try to control
0: you, even if you don't right. get as
1: much money, yeah. I think. That's my opinion.
0: Well, I, I enjoy sometimes seeing the pushback, and some some series that are a little bit more lighter can do this. Um, for example, Squirrel Girl is very popular in our I, house right now. You
1: know, I have heard of Squirrel Girl. I have never actually seen Squirrel Girl.
0: Oh, man.
1: Oh, my goodness. Hey, hey Squirrel
0: Girl. My son okay. Scott has appeared with a, a Funko Pop of Squirrel Girl. So
1: I have to, Squirrel Girl is kind of like I should buy, Scott? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, I right. just paid $30 for this bobblehead.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, Merry Christmas. What what <laughs> what appeals? What's what's the thing about Squirrel Girl? Why why do you like Squirrel Girl so much?
1: It's it's just really funny, and not all comics do that. Like they can try, but Squirrel Girl just goes over the top with humor, and I, I think that's it, pretty much. Well, I will definitely run out and buy how many? About four, four issues of Squirrel Girl will give me an idea about what it's like, right? Sure, that sounds right. Okay, <laughs> ah. cool. And then I'll buy more if I like it. Yeah. I'm sure I will. It sounds
0: fun. I know that in the case of Squirrel Girl, when they they had to reboot after some, I don't know if it was Secret War, I can't remember what it was, uh-huh. but when they came back, on the front cover, they even like emblazoned, only our second, first issue this year. <laughs> well and i thought I'm, oh, yeah. I'm thrilled that they did that. I'm thrilled they got away with uh, okay. it. I'm, yeah. yeah. Um, so so looking towards now the present, and I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I know that you're working on a project with uh, artist Jan Dursima, who I adore. Is there anything that you can tell us about that yet? Is there a title, a genre, a time frame, anything?
1: Well, it'll get done when it gets done. <laughs> um, right. You know, I've, I've, I've plotted, we're doing it Marvel style. So I've plotted six issues worth. Um, you know, we're, we're wait. I think. It's going a little slow because the company is a very young company, mm-hmm. and they kind Stella? of Stella, Stella, S-T-E-L-A, right? Stella, and it's um, it's e comics that are are created specifically to be read in, on on iPhone. Okay. So I mean, it, it works really well. It, we can, it, we work, it works really well on an iPad too, nice. which is where I what I read them on. Um, but it's it's it hasn't it hasn't reached its maturity yet, so we're not sure what's going to happen with it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I can't,
1: and I'm not allowed to say anything about it, I think even the title, until we get closer to release.
0: Sure, sure. This okay. is
1: so true of everything.
0: I understand. I've I mean, I've
1: got two projects that I'm working on with non-disclosure agreements that I can't talk about. Oh. I do have a novel that an an agent actually is interested in representing, which I could talk about. I mean, I can say the name of that one at least. <laughs> say it, say it. <laughs> Night Terrors is the name okay. of it. It's a, it's a uh, Middle reader. Well, YA, tween, it's a tween fantasy. Sure. It's, a, you know, it's like not quite YA, but it's not quite young enough to be middle reader yet. Yeah. So it's in the middle. Excellent. And that's it.
0: Well, I'm glad that you're keeping very busy. I'm, yeah, I'm I doing a lot of that. books, actually. If, a lot more
1: books than comics these yeah, days.
0: Yeah, yeah. If, if fans want to reach out and say how much they adore you, whether or not they're, you know, nerds from the 80s like myself that uh, uh, just grew up with you or current stuff, how can they reach out to you?
1: I'm, I'm on Facebook. Louise Simonson um I have a, a page where that only has friends and family on it and then I have another page that is a fan page but I don't I never look at it but I've got to start looking at it now because yeah I've been I've been scolded <laughs> for not keeping it up so um yeah if they if they write me I'll start if they do that I'll start looking over at my fan page and
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so, so much for the time. I oh, greatly appreciate it. My inner 11-year-old is beaming, beaming, beaming oh, cool. right now. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you for doing this. It was fun.
0: One of Ms. Simonson's mystery projects has just been revealed, and it's pretty unique. Louise will write a story for the 48-page election special, Faith Number 5, for Valiant Entertainment, an issue tied to the presidential election in November, featuring Hillary Clinton on the cover and in the story. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. So how did we do? What did you think? Leave me a message at the social media channels and you might even hear your name on the podcast. You'll be famous in the ears of tens of listeners. Thanks to all of you that have been listening from episode to episode and have shared your thoughts and support. And super special thanks to Sound Wizard Composer and my co-producer David Sisko. You are and remain the finest audio mixologist in New York City. And perhaps you've noticed the brand new 1.21 gigawatts logo. Hmm? It's courtesy of designer Paul Lyron, who geeked out so hard creating it, that I challenge all of you listeners to decode the whole thing. It's great work, and I can't thank Paul enough. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this free travel-sized chunk of Geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. Let people know that you're listening. You can like the 1.21 Gigawatts Facebook page where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at one two one gigawatts, and come check out some pictures of my own geeky treasure trove at one point twenty one underscore gigawatts on Instagram. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's Nerd Rock h Two Awesome with our radtastic theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. One point twenty one
1: Geekawatts. 1.21 gigawatts What every geek wants is what we got From Doctor Who to Aqualad We might think Luke and Leia's dead Pop culture, that is super rad Hosted by some guy named Brad rock you to your side nylon 1.21 freaking
0: gigawatts Some believe that the first mutant was born thousands of years ago he was some kind of god and he's going to rise again you are all my children and you're
1: lost because you follow blind leaders no more false gods